0: Progress, potential, and possibilities, discussions with fascinating people, designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome, everybody, again to uh, another fascinating episode of our show with another really interesting guest uh, helping to create a better tomorrow on many different fronts. Uh, today, we have the honor of being joined by Dr. Charles Brenner, uh, who is the Alfred E. Mann Family Foundation Chair uh, in Diabetes and Cancer Metabolism, uh, professor and chair of the Department of Diabetes and Cancer Metabolism at the City of Hope Comprehensive Cancer Center. Uh, with his uh, PhD in cancer biology from Stanford, uh, Dr. Brenner's lab uh, focuses on disturbances in nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide, or NAD, a uh, central catalyst of metabolism. A wide range of diseases uh, and conditions of metabolic stress. Uh, among his most significant discoveries over the years, uh, Dr. Brenner uh, has identified uh, nicotinamide riboside as a, a vitamin precursor of NAD, uh, as well as a variety of quantitative uh, metabolomic technologies uh, that has allowed him and his lab to discover that the, uh, the NAD system uh, is disturbed by many diseases uh, and conditions of metabolic stress, including diabetes and cancer. Uh, Dr. Brenner has also led the team that uh, conducted the first clinical trials of nicotinamide riboside, uh, establishing its uh, oral bioavailability, uh, participating in trials establishing uh, safety and efficacy, uh, potential activities of the compound in areas like clearance of liver fat and depression uh, of common markers of inflammation. Uh, his lab continues to research how the NAD system is dysregulated uh, in a variety of variety of conditions, uh, including uh, uh, as a function of postpartum, uh, coronavirus infections, various inflammatory conditions, uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, over the years, his work has been funded by numerous agencies, including uh, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, the March of Dimes, Burr Welcomes Fund, Beckman Foundation, Cancer uh, Research Foundation, as well as our NIH and National Science Foundations. Uh, Dr. Brenner has authored uh, over 140 publications, uh, was a senior editor of a uh, book, Genomics: Molecular Approaches to Cancer. Uh, and when he's not doing all that, Dr. Brenner also serves as a member of the Scientific Advisory Board uh, and Chief Scientific Officer for Chromadex, a, a leading bioscience company focused- uh, Chief Scientific of... Advisor. Oh, scientific I'm a advisor. 100%
1: employee of City Folk, but I advise Chromadex, my own stock, and so forth.
0: Perfect. Perfect, uh, which is heavily focused on, uh, on healthy aging. Uh, all that being said, Dr. Charles Brenner, thanks uh, so much for taking time out of your schedule to talk to us for a little while today.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you so much, our
0: You know, it, it's um, interesting. As I was going through your, your background. You know, that's really only a small part of it because... Um, you know, you, you have been involved in, in various forms, academia, at Brandeis, here in Philly, at Thomas Jefferson University, Dartmouth. Uh, but in the early days, uh, you went into industry early on. You you were hanging out at Chiron, uh, Um
1: Hanging so- out. That's what I was doing there. I was hanging out. Right. <laughs>
0: um talk a little bit about uh, take us a, just a little bit back into the past okay um, how okay. you got interested in this whole area okay bostonian
1: uh, born in 1961 raised in, in new england uh went to wesleyan graduated in 1983 okay. it's kind of the dawn of the biotechnology industry yep. we didn't call it biotech then it was called the genetic engineering industry it was located sort of in two places one of them in around Cam- cambridge Mass, which I knew well and the other in the San Francisco Bay Area. So I decided head head West young man um, Graduated from college in 1983 With the quaint idea that you go to college not to be a burden on your parents um, Nobody in my family had a doctoral degree. So I thought, you know, having a bachelor's in in biology from from Wesleyan uh, qualified me to you know to get a job and uh, as you said, I worked at Chiron for a couple of years and a place called DNAX Research Institute, which was a wholly owned subsidiary of, um, of Shearing Plow already uh, at the time. And um, I, there I learned you know, quite a lot of technically about molecular biology, yeast genetics, um, and also about teamwork and what you could do with a group of fully formed PhDs that were working together, which is kind of not the way things are organized in academia where you have one lab that does one thing and next to another lab that does an entirely different thing. So that that was a, you know, a long influence on me, but so uh, 83 graduate from college, I've got five years of biotech under my belt by 88. And that's when I actually started grad school at Stanford. So I stayed in the, in the Bay Area for about 10 years. Um, first in two biotechs, um, then Stanford Biochemistry Department where I got a PhD in cancer biology and I purified an enzyme that is involved in pro-hormone processing, very similar to the enzyme that makes insulin um, in in humans, but we were doing the work in yeast. And then, so then it's 19... 93, got a PhD and head back East, go to Brandeis for my postdoc, short, kind of a short postdoc, 96. I started running my own lab in in, um, 1996. And I did seven years in Philly at Thomas Jefferson University. Um, Then uh, family and I moved to Dartmouth um, I actually thought I was going to spend my whole career in the frozen north um, at Dartmouth. It's quite a, a great place. I had terrific grad students there. And uh, as you know, we also, we trained, we, we, we started really making the transition to NAD at Dartmouth because that's where uh, we discovered the nicotinamide riboside kinase pathway. Mm-hmm. And we did the crystal structure of nicotinamide riboside kinase and found other genes involved in NAD metabolism. We really found that there were a lot of things that people thought they knew that they hadn't really thought about very much and realized that we could really make a big impact in NAD when I was at Dartmouth. And then didn't work out that I stayed there the whole time because I got recruited to University of Iowa to be the head of biochemistry. Mm -hmm. So 2009, um moved to iowa city further expanded my lab and and program in in nad and then last summer 2020 um city of hope you know made an offer i couldn't refuse basically and said we're going to create a new department of diabetes and cancer metabolism we think you're one of the few people that can do it and um so i moved uh, my group out and I'm now hiring faculty at City of Hope to where everybody's interested in diseases of metabolic dysregulation which include you know cancer on the one hand where it's always you know pulling in resources to to make a, a malignant uh, clone and uh, and and metastatic clone and and then diabetes which is another constellation of 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 diseases of of res- Resource misallocation, and of course, Ira, it all involves dysregulation of NAD. So it's a perfect place for us to to be doing this stuff.
0: Excellent, excellent. And you know, you know, on your lab website, you you talk about uh, you know, obviously NAD and the wide range of uh, this is a coenzyme family. You refer to right. it as this crown jewels of metabolism, but they're yeah. not they're not protected like the crown jewels in London. A lot of stuff yeah. you're mentioning metabolic stress, these bioenergetic crises. Talk a little bit about what that means, because, you know, you list a couple different things. You talk about things that attack these enzymes, things that diminish them, and also, at the gene level, things that alter their transcription and so forth. Talk about this basic basket of bioenergetic crises and what that means in terms of this very important set of enzymes. Yeah,
1: right. Okay, so so the coenzymes, right? So NAD really refers to four related molecules. Uh, you you spelled out the central one already, nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. And that has two forms that, that either carry the electrons already, they're reduced to NADH, or they're in the form that's ready to accept electrons, which is called NAD+. Plus. And then NAD+, plus and NADH, Are in another form called NADP plus and NADPH. And these are the the central catalysts of metabolism. So um, everything that our cell does from turning, um, you know, food into energy, into ATP, to transmitting, um, you know, signals down the length of an axon in, in a neuron to flexing a muscle, to making stuff like making estrogen, androgen, making cell membrane, making more cells, um, repairing all of the molecules and stuff—all of those things are metabolism. And um, you know, we any coenzymes are important because they are the central catalysts of metabolism. Mm-hmm. And you know. You 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 repeated my my new shtick, which is that you could describe these as the crown jewels of metabolism, they're so centrally important, but then it would surprise you to find out the crown jewels of metabolism are exposed to the conditions of metabolic stress. Like so if in a storm of reactive oxygen species, NADPH which is required to make almost everything in the cell mm-hmm. becomes utilized to um, to basically detoxify free radicals. Okay. So reactive oxygen species disturbs NADPH when DNA is damaged, which happens literally all the time because oxygen can damage DNA, sunlight can damage DNA. Inevitable conditions disturb uh, DNA. Um, NAD plus comes under attack. Enzymes called PARP1 and and PARP2 convert NAD into a weird polymer called poly ADP ribose. In coronavirus infection Mm -hmm. and virtually any other inflammatory condition, there's five or six enzymes related to PARP1 none of which actually polymerize ADP ribose, but Mm -hmm. all of which consume NAD. In the inflammatory conditions, these five or six other enzymes degrade NAD. Why? In order to try to protect the cell Mm -hmm. from an invader. And so um, the use case for ongoing NAD synthesis and potentially supplementation with Something like uh, nicotinamide riboside is that the NAD system comes under attack, and um, it, in 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 frank diseases like heart failure, mm-hmm. um, but also in the inevitable stresses of light of life, like um, going out into the sun, where you know solar energy will will lead to Pyrimidine dimers and single strand, um, you know, events that have have to be repaired. So um, we we think that NAD is a central um, protector of cellular resiliency and repair. We actually have a very specific set of things in mind when we think about um, resiliency. We don't think that resiliency is just like. A, you know a a psychological concept we think that resiliency has to do with um you know cell survival and um genome protection and you know resistance stress itself stress is not something that is the way you feel about something Mm -hmm. stress is a set of molecular events that disturb cell function and homeostasis which is the maybe the most important concept in all of biology and biomedicine homeostasis is how how do our bodies try to repair themselves how do we try to maintain the same temperature how do we try to maintain the same roughly blood glucose how do we desperately try to uh, uh, you know maintain the same weight over the course of our lives. How do we try to maintain our, our muscle mass? And um, it turns out that you know the NAD system is involved in, in all of those things. And because the NAD system comes under attack, the NAD system um, requires some support. And you know, one of the things that we discovered, and, and people always ask me, what's special about nicotinamide riboside? Well, there's something special about all four of the ways that different cells can make NAD, Mm -hmm. right? So some cells like in the liver, some cells can make NAD from tryptophan, the amino acid. Um, And in, in the human body, there's many cells that can make NAD from nicotinic acid, but not nerve cells, as it turns out, not neurons. Um, All cells, from what we can tell, can make NAD from nicotinamide and from nicotinamide riboside. But when the NAD system comes under attack, we very frequently see nicotinamide riboside kinase genes get turned up which basically says that the cell is interpreting a stress. It's saying that it needs more NAD and it's turning up the NR kinase pathway. So the lucky mouse that was in the cages that Matthias say and I set up, this lucky mouse that was, Unfortunately, unlucky because it has a genetic predisposition to heart failure. But the one that was given NR in its diet, Mm -hmm. it benefits because in the failing heart, it's turning up the NR pathway, right? Mm -hmm. And then if we provide that mouse with dietary NR, it can replete, it can fill up its NAD deficit. In that failing heart, because we've given it um, oral NR, but guess what? It also means Ira, and this is what you know our lab is is, is focusing on: the fact that these genes turn up in conditions of metabolic stress mm-hmm. means that there's an endogenous system that makes NR available to stressed st- you know, stressed tissues mm-hmm. and we don't entirely know what that is. We don't know where the the NR, you know, is coming from. In the privacy of our group meeting, we have our ideas and, you know, we're trying to identify the endogenous sources of NR, but we also know that we can effectively boost NR availability orally in mice and in people.
0: It's fascinating. And, you know, th- thinking about, as you're saying, this theme of resiliency, um, I think no other place, I, I, would, I would assume I'm not an expert on this today, but it, it, the, where you actually not, you don't have one, but you have two beings is, is in the postpartum uh, situation. And you've recently done these, this work um, in uh, postpartum conditions, uh, showing all sorts of really fascinating things and supplementing the mothers uh, with uh, yeah. advancing the juvenile development yeah. or a development yeah. advantage weight loss. Um, And and once again, here we have two organisms that have major resiliency issues in postpartum. Talk a little bit about this. And this is very recent work, we're just publishing, but whatever you can say about it, I really think it brings this concept. Oh, it's
1: published actually. So, um, you know, I was scratching my head, you know, two, three years ago, and I was thinking about, you know, the mouse uh, heart failure experiments and other neuroprotective experiments where the most profound effects, benefits of NR, accrue to um, the kind of the sickest animals, mm-hmm. right? Like um, in, the, in the heart failure model, there are um, mice that have a poor ejection fraction, mm-hmm. right? They have a bad heart. And they have a poor ejection fraction and they have low fractional shortening and then you give them NR and then it basically gets corrected, right? You look at the healthy mice that don't have that genetic um, predisposition to heart failure and the NR didn't do that much for them, right? Mm-hmm. And so why? Because they already had a perfect ejection fraction. You're measuring something that's already good and it it doesn't get any better, right? And I'm thinking, well, what a, what a strange what a strange situation that I'm in that I've discovered the vitamin activity of nicotinamide riboside, right? I found a company that wants, I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't, I founded the company. Sure. I, we identified a company with which to partner, a pre-existing company, Chromadex, that, um, that wanted to commercialize this, right? Came up with a way to, to, to make tons of, yep clean nicotinamide, riboside chloride, put it through the review processes, new dietary ingredients, so forth and so on. And then it goes out to human beings, right? And it's blue bottle and it says on the label not intended to treat a disease or condition, Mm -hmm. right? And then I look at my mice and I'm I'm thinking the most profound effects are on the mice that have a disease or condition, right? Clearing fatty liver for a mouse that has fatty liver, but the mouse that doesn't have fatty liver, there's no improvement in fatty liver, right? So I'm thinking, well, you know, and I'm taking night you know, niacin, and you know, maybe my mile time is a little bit better, and I feel like I'm I'm sleeping a little bit better, and I hear a lot of people say things like that, but boy, the opportunity is is really with kind of diseases and conditions, right? And it's it's weird because it's kind of expensive as a vitamin. But it's sort of way too cheap to be a drug, Mm -hmm. right? Drug companies don't necessarily want to conduct a human interventional disease trial on something that someone can basically buy from Amazon or direct-to-consumer from Chromadex, right? Unless we were to come out with a much more powerful formulation, dosage, delivery system, and so forth and so on. So I'm trying to figure out how do I how do I improve the human condition, mm-hmm. you know, with, with with NR, if it's going to be more valuable to people with conditions of metabolic stress, but those are diseases, and companies aren't going to do those trials very readily. Then my six month pregnant assistant walked into my office right at that moment, and I realized <laughs> oh, that's. Good. Women are so amazing, right? And of course we don't consider, you know, pregnancy and post, we consider postpartum depression, a sort of treatable disease or or condition, but actually every woman that has a baby experiences postpartum. Postpartum is the period in her life after she's given birth to a baby. Whether it has a full psychological manifestation or not in her nine month pregnancy, her body was transformed, right? To produce a whole nother human being. Mm -hmm. And in the postpartum period, in the immediate postpartum, her body is again transformed Mm -hmm. where a whole different set of hormones come in order to mobilize protein, fat and carbohydrate to her mammary to do the mammary biosynthetic program that produces the milk that is designed to be designed evolved to be the complete nutrition for the baby right whether she chooses to do that a long time or not whatever that's the way that the you know the mammals are are built Mm -hmm. and um so so suddenly i realized what i need to do is test pregnancy and postpartum as a metabolic stress and see whether the NAD system is disturbed and, and we found it is. So most strikingly um, at peak lactation, um, which is about two weeks, you know, post parturition after the babies are born mm-hmm. in a mouse or a rat um, at, at, at peak lactation, mom's liver NAD system is dysregulated. Her, she's distributing, not only is her liver distributing protein, fat, and carbohydrate to the mammary, which everybody knew, knew that, her, her adipose is distributing, her liver is distributing, a lot of stuff is distributing macronutrients to the mammary to make milk. But we discovered that her liver is also distributing NAD precursors. Okay to the mammary. And the mammary has a massively boost and it boosted NAD system. And that if you supplement mom with nicotinamide riboside mm-hmm. to the point where her liver gets its NAD status back to what it would be if she were not pregnant or, or, or postpartum, she gets her liver NAD status back. She actually makes more milk and higher quality milk, as a matter of fact, and um, she can have an advantage in in weight loss, and the offspring have an advantage in neurodevelopment, and the 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 offspring that are um, you know on milk on um, the the offspring of NR supplemented mothers actually outperform um, the offspring of non supplemented mothers into adulthood. Mm. So they have better um, they have better balance, they have better motor skills, they have better spatial memory, they're less anxious. It's actually pretty remarkable. So you know we've done some follow up experiments that we're going to be publishing fairly soon, and there's clinical trials now of NR in new moms that are. Uh, registered at uh, UC
0: Davis. So
1: we're really excited about this work. Very exciting,
0: really exciting. Um, Let's go now in the other direction because, well, you sit at the the City of Hope Comprehensive Cancer Center. Uh, I'm a couple, you know, down the street here from the Worcester Institute in Philadelphia. Uh, And as I'm sure you're aware, a couple of years ago, there was this uh, study, uh, focusing on cells, the senescent cells, uh, showing that, uh, I don't know if it's a, a precursor compound to NAD, had some issues with regards to inflammatory uh, cytokines and so forth in, in, in um, I don't know, these are in vitro studies and so forth, I forget exactly the whole, the whole model. But um, once again, talk a little about this balance here because obviously cancer is a condition where we're in extreme bioenergetic stress and everything that comes with cancer. Um, I'm sure you, you remember this, uh, this Worcester study, but uh, where are we with regard to sort of the, the optimization and when it comes to some of these cases where, you know, you don't want too much, but you don't want too little. Uh, walk down yeah. sort of the cancer path. List. So,
1: so um, cancer, I mean, any, any decoenzymes are required for every cell in the body, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, including, you know, immune cells that are trying to detect and destroy um, cancer cells so in you know in the largest um trials that have been done of n a d precursors, they were um, nicotinamide uh, trials in in Australia um, you know vitamin daily vitamin b3 use was clearly associated with lower cancer incidence mm-hmm. and um why because um you know, all of the things I already told you that, you know, DNA, you know, repair yep. processes require and churn NAD. And so higher NAD status is protective. There's multiple animal models that show that higher NAD status is protective. There are some, you know, studies that, you know, I think are relatively contrived in which you have a particular cell line injected into a particular sure. mouse in which um, people have. You know, come to the conclusion that NAD is driving, you know, um, some sort of bad bad actor function in in tumor genesis. We found actually, and this was a a, a really nice collaboration with Ranji Bindra at Yale, that in uh, diffuse intrinsic pontine glioma, you know, was terrible, inoperable uh, brain cancer the cells are malignant um, not because they have higher NAD, but they're malignant despite having lower NAD and their NAD system is kind of rewired such that it's easier to kill them. We think that um, particular cancer genotypes um, are gonna be targetable um, mm-hmm. by you know, inhibiting NAD uh, metabolism. Um, Disclosure, you know, Ranjit Bindra, and and I start a new new company um, to to try to you know develop those ideas and Mm -hmm. and develop uh, some compounds that that will do that. Um, But there's no there's no evidence that um, NAD precursors would be contraindicated for um, you know for People that are concerned about about cancer incidence, like I said, the largest clinical studies in Australia indicated that um, NAD precursors are are likely cancer protective, um, and and then importantly, we're very interested in neuropathy. We showed mm-hmm. that um, oral NR protects against development of diabetic neuropathy. Yep. Um, in the mouse and then in collaboration with Donna Hammond at the University of Iowa, uh, we showed that oral NR can protect against and uh, potentially reverse chemotherapeutic neuropathy. And then Mm -hmm. Donna went ahead and registered and is conducting a human clinical trial in breast cancer patients where she wants to see whether oral NR will be protective enough Against the um, you know neuropathic effects of, of breast cancer chemotherapy that women can stay on on drug mm-hmm. um, if they're if they're supplemented with NR. and then everyone asked you know um, Don Hammond to test whether NR was procarcinogenic mm-hmm. you know in her in her rat model, and she has, found that it's not. She's published that. So we we don't think that there's really a concern about higher NAD status being carcinogenic.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Um, let's go to the other you, you wear the cancer metabolism hat, but you also wear the diabetes hat. You, Alfred E. Yeah. Mann Family Foundation, share is it, a legend in the biotech space uh, uh, on many fronts. But obviously, diabetes was clearly uh, one of the things he was heavily focused on. Uh, you mentioned the type 2 diabetes and neuropathy work, but also, you know, the, you had a, a fascinating paper uh, that focused on the microbiome uh, and, and applications potentially there. Uh, say a few words, if you would, about sort of the connection, uh, once again, the microbiome part of us, but separate <laughs> organism in a yeah. sense, but yeah. uh, some of the interesting things you're finding out there just cause the microbiome is yeah. such a hot yeah. topic.
1: Good, good question. Um, so City of Hope, by the way, it's not only a comprehensive cancer center. Sure. Um, it's also, um, you know, probably 65% or so of the research at City of Hope is cancer. And another 35% of it is diabetes and metabolism. And uh, the unit, uh, my my academic department is actually part of the Arthur Riggs Diabetes and Metabolism Research Institute. So I'm a member of the cancer center and a program co-director as well as a department chair in the Diabetes and Metabolism Research Institute. And we're interested in both. Right. Yep. So, um, so microbiome. Yeah. Microbiome is, is, is fascinating. Um, You know, I don't think it's really actionable yet. Um, You know, like I'm not motivated to like, Sequence my own microbiome or or anything <laughs> like that. There's a lot of things that people are wanting to self-test that I that I think are you know great business plans for people selling those tests, but don't mm. actually provide any added value to 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 the to the person. But um, clearly, you know, there are profound interactions between uh, the microbiome and our metabolic health. There are not fully um, understood connections between the microbiome and NAD metabolism. One thing that we do know real well is that um, all cells in the body will convert NAD to nicotinamide and um, many cells will use nicotinic acid and really the only known enzyme that will convert nicotinamide to nicotinic acid is a bacterial enzyme. So mm. we know that there's a relationship between our microbiome and the availability of nicotinic acid, at least in some tissues, like in the gut. Um, there may be other tissues where there are other ways to make nicotinic acid, but when I draw a diagram of NAD metabolism, I definitely include the microbiome in in one of the one of the arrows. Um, but you know it's it's a profoundly interesting area, and you know some of our digestion our digestion is carried out by our you know our our, our microbial friends. Fermentation is something that you know that has been with human civilization forever, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it's it's a growth area in science.
0: Thank you. Now I'm going to say a dirty word: uh, aging. <laughs> um, you. Early on, you were you were the first person to show the connections between yep. a lot of the our NAD work, and sirtuins. You've yep. not gone, you know, your your work has gone in many other directions uh, aside from your work at Chromadex. You, you have, in essence, spawned certain industries indirectly, uh, whether you wanted mm-hmm. to or not. But um, talk, take take the floor for a couple of minutes and just talk okay. about uh, aging, longevity. Aging. Uh, if you want to go into the current. Social media thing, I, you can or not, okay. uh, but okay. please have the floor. Yeah.
1: Okay, so aging is aging is really important, right? So we're all we're all we're all aging, um, and uh, aging is you know in part modifiable. You know, it's very modifiable. I think by physical activity, diet, um, clean water, vaccination. Uh, I would argue not being in a household with guns. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that um, you know. Actually, family status. I think that men that are that are are are, are married and people that are coupled, um, you know, men demonstrably uh, live longer. You know, when they're they're married, but I'm sure that probably bad marriages are probably worse. And um, so, there's a lot of things that 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 we can do that can uh, allow us to age better um, when we, you know, when when Rob Fried and I uh, sat down and talked about having a, you know, direct to consumer uh, Niagen, you know, we agreed to put age better on, on the bottle. Um, but I, you know, I don't like the term anti-aging. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't like the term anti-aging because to me, the term anti-aging is too associated with uh, hype and, and false claims and and uh, you know false promises that have been made for literally thousands of years mm-hmm. um, about you know uh, fountains of youth and and potions that would reverse aging or make aging optional. And uh, I don't I don't think that aging is well enough understood. First of all. Um, I think that anybody that claims, uh, otherwise is, is, um, you know, not being truthful. And, um, I, I, I just don't want to associate my own science with that term. Now you, in 2007, um, which was three years after we discovered the nicotinamide riboside kinase pathway, we did an experiment in yeast and we said, um, you know, here's uh, Sir2 uh, dependent aging in yeast, mm-hmm. and um, we can extend lifespan. Um, it looks like it's increasing Sir2 activity using nicotinamide riboside, and we published that. And no one's ever challenged that paper. It's a it's a solid paper. But I didn't I didn't extrapolate from that. Um, I didn't extrapolate from that paper that because we could. Um, extend lifespan in yeast and because we can activate SIR2 in yeast that we could extend lifespan in humans and since that time it's become eminently clear that the role of that SIR2 is a legit anti-aging and there I will defend SIR2 as an anti-aging gene in one model of one yeast okay literally in one model of one yeast so SIR2 deletion mutants live longer in the other model, which no one ever talks about, but Walter Longo showed that SIR2 mutants live longer. Mm. So that makes, yeah. that makes, SIR, <laughs> that makes <laughs> SIR2 both pro-aging and anti-aging in different models in one yeast. But then SIR2 was claimed to be anti-aging in worms and flies, and it's not. That was basically debunked. And and the stuff in you know in, in mice is just hopelessly contaminated with people's expectations, right? So when you have you know dozens and hundreds of papers saying that sir 2 and sir 2 related genes are anti-aging then you're setting up expectations in a laboratory and the people that are doing experiments to see let's see if we can demonstrate it's anti-aging in flies and worms people did that and turns out it's not true right they didn't actually they didn't in science you make more progress when you test your hypotheses you try to disprove your hypotheses where the rather than saying oh, let's assemble more evidence in favor of our favorite idea, right? And then it becomes very easy for people to say, here's more evidence that SIR2 or SIR2-related genes do all of these wonderful things. And and I've described it as scientific cultism. And it, and it, it really is because... The, if the underlying premises have dis, been disproven, and then people are still trying to find evidence that it's doing something, and then they don't find that CERT1 does something, then they say, oh, it must be some other CERT2 related gene that does that. It's actually ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's like saying, you know, you think that you think that I, I don't have a brother, but it, it's like saying, you think that I, I committed some crime, right? And then you do a test to see if I did it. And then I didn't do it. And then you go and you look at six of my brothers and then <laughs> which, and then you find one of them was in some way related to it. And then you say, see, we were right. so there's some real nonsense out there and and then resveratrol is actually worse because resveratrol you know is a well-known compound that um you know is in wine it's also in peanuts by the way and um and it's an antioxidant and it binds to a number of different proteins in the cells and maybe associated with various things. But there was this idea, you know, that based upon experiments that cannot be reproduced that resveratrol is is an activator of human SIRT1 and resveratrol extends lifespan in yeast but Resveratrol doesn't extend lifespan in yeast, and resveratrol doesn't interact with SIRT1. And now the people that say that it does activate SIRT1, they are saying it activates SIRT1 in a way in which they couldn't have discovered it the way they said they discovered it in yeast. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing is really, really messed up. And it actually is, it's not harmless. Because it leads people it leads companies to invest in programs that are not well-premised that are going to fail and lead to massive financial losses and layoffs, which has absolutely happened. Yep. It leads to people taking um, dietary supplements that are not evidence-based because they they someone charismatic tells them something and it leads to an atmosphere that is not scientific, where, where you know people can basically claim things on the basis of their charisma and 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 not accept falsifiability. And so I you know I I really have a problem right now with um some people's um, interpretation of the value of of NAD biology. Mm -hmm. Because the value of NAD biology is based upon four NAD coenzymes being the central catalysts of metabolism that get disturbed in many, many conditions of metabolic stress and NAD coenzymes being required for hundreds of different processes, Mm -hmm. right? And then it's a, it's a very naive and inaccurate view that the value of NAD is to increase the activity of CERT-1 and by doing so, it's gonna have anti-aging properties. I don't like that at all. I think it's, it, I think it's not true. Um, I think that NAD, it's just misleading. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that higher NAD status Provides cellular and tissue resiliency. I do support clinical trials as well as all kinds of preclinical research that is determining the efficacy and mechanisms of action of nicotinamide riboside. But I think that the field has been distorted by um, uh, you know by some some views that are are not evidence based and that it is
0: harmful. I appreciate your insight on that matter. Um, Charles, while I have you, um, obviously you have a, a, a broad range of programs at the City of Hope. Um, the, the, the lab is hiring. It's on your website. Uh, any other stuff that you want to mention, uh, upcoming conferences, talks you're going to be giving, uh, anything else you want to talk about while I have you I'm, I'll give you the floor.
1: Okay. Well, that's great. I really appreciate it. So, uh, things are, you know, opening up again. I, I don't have my calendar right off the bat, but I know I've been invited to give, um, in-person talks at Yale and, um, UC Davis, um, and uh, I'm hearing things, you know, all the time. I mean, the, the great thing about working on NAD is that, you know, my, my phone's always ringing and email is always buzzing with people that are that are running into the NAD system where it's dysregulated and rare diseases and common diseases and mm-hmm. neurodegenerative, you know, conditions in which you know we could potentially make a contribution. But I just want you know, I just want people to stay evidence based, not get over their skis you know, the way that we, you know, um, introduced um, Niagen was, I, I think, putting safety first and, mm-hmm. you know, going through a process in, in which, you know, a, a clean manufacturing process was developed mm-hmm. and, and you know, materials were reviewed for new dietary indication and generally regarded as safe and you know, human clinical trials have been done that have always emphasized safety. And and now with, you know, forty five fifty 50 um, clinical trials registered for many diseases and conditions, you know, we we think that there are going to be exciting things coming out. I mean, just, just in the last month, there was a study that came out that was peer reviewed um, from Turkey and Sweden mm-hmm. um, in which... Nicotinamide riboside high dose, so like two grams a day, um, was included in a cocktail of um, essentially over-the-counter uh, molecules like mm-hmm. um, N-acetylcysteine, um, serine, and uh, nicotinamide riboside, N-acetylcysteine, serine, and L-carnitine, I believe. Okay. And uh, and I don't fully understand why the other three were included, but it, the trial was for COVID recovery. Mm-hmm. And we published a paper last year on how coronavirus infection in cell systems attacks the NAD system. We understand how that works. Yep. And, and, and you know we made predictions and, 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 and had some pretty convincing preclinical data that a higher NAD status would boost the innate immune system Mm-hmm. and um, and you know we were very encouraged to see that this dietary supplement uh, mixture that included high dose NR uh, greatly accelerated time to recovery of uh, mild to moderate covid uh, you know patients placebo-controlled studies so you know we, we we think that there's there's some exciting things coming out but we want to see things done you know safely and you um, you know, we 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 just don't want people to think that um, it's magic or miraculous. We think you can age better. I'm 59, you know, and um, want to stay active for you know a long time. But uh, at the same time, um, I uh, I'm excited, and um, I think there's a lot more stuff that's going to be coming out in 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 the years to come.
0: It's exciting times, and um, we'll be, will be following you and reading okay. you on Charles. Re- really, really great. Really great. great, great. Um,
1: so you can, can ask me questions on, on Twitter at Charles M. Brenner and um, look at our website, uh, which is brennerlab.net. And um, thanks for having me, Ira.
0: Surely. We'll put, we'll put all those links in the bio as well. But uh, to wrap up, for everybody that's going to be listening to this episode on the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, you've been listening to Dr. Charles Brenner, Alfred E. Mann, Family Foundation Chair, Diabetes and Cancer Metabolism, Professor and Chair in the Department, uh, City of Hope Comprehensive Cancer Center. Uh, Charles, once again, thanks for taking the time out of your schedule to, to talk to us. Uh, thanks for everything you're involved in. And as we say on our show, thanks for helping to create a better tomorrow through all your work. Really very inspiring.
1: Thank you.